expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. This is Claudia Shamba, your host on Ask a Leader. Welcome you to the July 31st. That is the July 31st, 2012 edition of the show. Today, we covered the business arena where Les Stevens is going to talk about, uh, in his uh, inestimable calm, take on how the proclivities of today's young employees can be sorted out in the business setting. It's been a rite of passage, endured, and persevered throughout the ages. In the second half, we have the Venerable Han Tuang, who, as founder of the Compassionate Service Society in Garden Grove, will talk about his holistic approach in the practice of integrated Tai Chi. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Thanks for staying with us today. My first guest is Les Stevens, who is uh, agribusiness consultant and the fifth generation owner of an Oregon family farm. Les grew up in the Amity area of the Willamette Valley, south of Portland, Oregon, and graduated from Oregon State University. He was employed by Union Carbide Corporation, Imperial Chemical Industries, Buckman Laboratories, and most recently with Wilbur Ellis Company. When he's not consulting in and around agribusiness, he oversees and pitches in his vast acreage where he cultivates cherries, prunes, and more and more vines of Pinot grapes abound. So when many uh, think of the collision between office culture and the young new employees, uh, that it couldn't be more unwieldy, Bless Stevens seems see some workable and satisfying opportunities as he can offer answers to some of your dilemmas. He comes to us today from Camas, Washington. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Les Stevens. Well, it's good to be here, Claudia. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to give you a little insight as to the uh, age-old situation between older managers and young employees. Well, Les, before we start, I... I just sampled some of my delicious Concord grapes last night here in OC. How are your Pinots looking? Well, they're looking quite well so far this year. You know, we've, we've got a little nicer weather. We've had cool weather the last two years. But this year, the weather seems more conducive to uh, giving us a better vintage. So we'll look forward in the next uh, three to eight years for some terrific Pinots in a bottle, eh? Yes, ma'am. Okay, well, Les, is assimilating young people into business a new challenge? No, it's, it's really the same thing that's happened over and over again. If you remember back to the 60s when people were looking into hiring young people and noted that they were really questioning things, asking a lot of questions. 
And that was an impetus because at that point in time, people had always said, you do the job, and they said, yes, sir. So as time has gone on, there's been different challenges, but challenges remain every time between an older business culture and young people being assimilated into that activity. So let's talk about um, how you see the young employees as having been steeped in a very regimented atmosphere from their preschool days right through college. Let's talk about that sort of pre-existing condition. Well, things are pretty well planned these days when you're a young person. If you talk to mothers, you've heard the expression tiger mother, where they've got young people scheduled out to the nth degree. Uh, When they're in school, the classes are very regimented in terms of you need to do this homework, you need to complete these assignments, even to their activities where you say you have to come to practice, you have to do these certain things, you have to develop these skills, and then you'll get the reward. There's a lot of clarity in that, but it's very regimented. So when young people come out of that type of an atmosphere all the way through college, they come into a business world with an idea that there's going to be a map as to how to get to the next step. And there isn't always that map for them to follow. So, And they have all kinds of cues. Uh, front-loading is a, is a big one for, uh, I know, from various sort of pedagogical uh, game plans I've had to follow in my own situation. And so you're, we're talking then about a transition away from, uh, or a, let's say the transition that has to adopt a bit of that kind of clarity as we ease them into some very open-ended challenges in the business world and, beyond, and other sectors as well. And, and the challenge there comes with managers who uh, are very stressed for time. They have a lot of things on their plate. And often they use a couple, couple of things. I, I've referred to them uh, humorously as management by osmosis or management by clairvoyance. Yeah, right. and by that I mean osmosis will put this young person in with an, a group of other people and they'll learn from them, and I won't have to spend as much time with them. Right. Claire, and the clairvoyant side is when they say, well, they should know that. <laughs> and as you've seen over the years, things that are have a lot of clarity to older people don't necessarily come uh, that way to young people. They don't always see the same things through the same eyes that older people see in terms of what's right and wrong what's appropriate and inappropriate. Well, also, Les, I can see the the, um, the conundrum for management is they've got to be kind of ambidextrous. They've got to relate to the, the, uh, the day-to-day business culture, and then they've got to deal with the bridging of the people coming from another, a, a different culture, the culture of today's youth. So they sort of have to switch gears, uh, change paradigms when they're dealing uh, up, looking upward in the, the food corporate chain versus looking downward and bringing their protégés upward? Well, one of the things that has to happen is they've got to transition those young people from a university culture, from a a school culture, into a business culture. And they're significantly different in many respects, simply because a lot of it has to do with not just pleasing a single person like an instructor. Right. Right but a group of people, and that takes some new skills. Uh, some of the things that have gotten in the way of that in the, lately 
are things like uh, electronic communication, social networking, and those types of things. Those, in, in essence, push people away from a real social interaction, which is incredibly important in business. You've got to be able to talk to your peers. You've got to be able to talk to business associates. You've got to be able to talk to a customer base sometimes. And you can't just sit there and text. The obvious transition you see is you see young people sitting at a table texting to each other. And the movement away from that into communicating openly and honestly is a struggle for some because they've develop these particular habits. Right, right. And it's um, it's also a sort of a time frame, too, difference that, you know, uh, they're needing to uh, immediately, you know, connect with somebody as opposed to sort of put that put that away, not just the, the uh, we're not working with simply the, the FaceTime with your managers, your customers, and your um your coworkers, but also uh, the the time frame of you know how uh, what when we're turning how how immediately we need to turn these kinds of um, interactions around. So um, since these disruptions to the workplace, these electronic gadgets that you're talking about, what kinds of then prescriptions less do you bring to management when they're consulting with you about this omnipresent? Um, fixation well that's just one of the things the first thing i do is i say well the easiest way to let these folks understand how much dependence they've developed is have them spend a day in fact demand it that they spend a day without their cell phone electronic gadgets and see how they do just kind of track that see how they feel afterward, and download with them afterward. Sit down with them and say, okay, what was it like today? What did you miss? Uh, What did you get done that you wouldn't have gotten done had you had all that uh, distraction right next to you? And and that's a practice then in your uh, consultation that your your, uh, clients take back? Certainly. uh, The idea being that they both get an idea of what the real advantages and disadvantages are in doing that. The perception is the more you can communicate and the more you can use these gadgets, the uh, more effective you'll be and the more efficient you are. And in truth, that's not always the case. So so it goes along with the multitasking myths that you you can do it all and you can do it all just well enough or, or fantastically, but you're... Your, your experience and what you're passing on to your clients is the, the important message that everybody take a breath and learn that uh, multitasking interferes with the quality of their product. At times, that, that's the case. The other, the other thing is that what we find is some of that multitasking is resulting in communicating with friends while they're at work. Uh, it's, they've become so inclined to uh, talking to friends and talking to people all day long via Twitter, via texting, via email, whatever, even via phone communication, that with, that they can't stop. They need to throw a few of those uh, comments in throughout the day to their friends just so their friends know what's going on. Right. So... Uh, Yes. But 
to get to what we really focus the managers on, when we sit down with them, we start with them by saying, okay, let's look at the positives because young people coming into the business world these days are usually brighter. They have a stronger back educational background. They have a lot of things going for them. And so what we ask managers to do is first evaluate all those positives, you know. Right. What do you see in your younger employees that you like? What do they add to your business that's very, very unique for you? The idea being there that the more they're able to focus on those positives, the more they can start to say, okay, how do I leverage this into my business? Right. Of course, the next thing we ask them is, okay, what can they improve on? What do they need to do to be effective in your business and do a better job? And usually that can be a pretty significant list sometimes. You know, there's a, there's a lot, of, lot of things that managers see that they say, well, my gosh, he doesn't do this or she doesn't do that or she's unable to accomplish this. And my question always to them is, so how do you focus them on those wonderful things that you talked about early on and leverage that into a learning experience? And what that means is to challenge those young people, just like they've always been challenged, expect more, and then define clearly what you expect them to do from there on. And do the managers, do they, is that an exercise for them to, to keep that kind of clarity about what they want? Exactly. If, if they don't understand the end game, uh, how they want <laughs> these people to come out, then, then it's really difficult to manage them and move them throughout the uh, the, the workforce. So it's a little uh, bit what of... What I ask them to do is uh, do a definition of skills and personal traits that they expect from those employees. That's the first step. In other words, you know, you always hear people say, well, I expect them to be honest or I expect them to treat customers well. But I ask them to take that one step further. You've got to define that in clear terminology because your definition of honesty and someone else's may be different your definition of good manners being polite may be significantly different from another so i ask those managers to be very clear about this is what this means in our business climate and i let me just let the guest in on if for those of you who've just tuned in my guest here on Ask a Leader is Les Stevens, agribusiness manager and consultant, talking about bridging the gap between management and the new hired young employee here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming live to you on the web at KUCI.org. And we're talking about how the managers can clearly define what it is they want out of their employees, uh, young employees, uh, after having considered the many, many positive traits those young employees bring to the firm, to the, to the, the organization, the institution, as we call it, to broaden it. Because it's not just business that's benefiting from this kind of help. Less, I see it as having application in any formal work setting. Well, and and that's essentially what what has happened with and how things have revolved. My. Uh... My activities have ended up talking with some other folks in in uh, public uh, employee situations. Uh-huh. The key thing there is 
people don't want to take the time as managers to define what they really want. They know what they want in the back of their mind, but they don't necessarily want to take the time to sit down and write those things out. Right. And factually, when you're dealing with an employee, you can't put a template together that says one size fits all. It's got to focus on the individual that you've got that you've just hired. What I remind managers is this. Average employee costs, if you're hiring someone out of the university, if you talk about benefits, if you talk about some of the peripheral costs, you're going to be spending anywhere from eighty to $120,000 a year on that employee. Okay. It's going to take two to three years to really have that employee up to speed. Okay, if you bought a machine that was ultimately going to cost you $250,000 to $350,000, how much time would you put in on it in terms of maintenance, in terms of follow-up, to be sure that it worked right? Yeah, you know your manual really well before you're operating it, so you might as well know the manual for the young ones. Precisely. Same thing has to happen. In fact, these are young people who've had significant feedback throughout their life. In some cases, very constant. If they've been coached, they've had it over and over again. If they've had activities that involved band, speech, any of those types of things, those all had tremendous feedback type activities. Right. What that means is they need to know where they're going and what's going on. So it takes regular evaluations. Talking to them a couple times a year or once every four or five months isn't adequate for new employees. Yes, that's a that's a great analogy, and I I think it's often forgotten how much of an investment is made in the employees and a sort of a laissez-faire approach to operating that that kind of human machinery is a, is more than a lost opportunity. It's a it's a, an, a huge expense, a deficit, that kind of a thing. So you have a, a list of things that you do take up with managers you've shared with me. And so let's talk to, um, uh, let's talk more to that. Uh, defining success at these employees' current level. So letting them know, you talked about clarity in general, about certain values uh, in the office culture, but let's talk about how at that very at where that employee is starting, how a manager can address that kind of defining. Well, oftentimes what happens, you've got a young employee that starts, and they're already looking at the uh, next step on the ladder and the next growth point. And the fact is that the job that they have that's new to them has a lot of nuances, has a lot of expectations, has a lot of required skills. So, again, it's incumbent on the manager to define that and say, okay, here's the things that you need to learn. Here's the things you need to be proficient at. I've even asked managers to set up a timeline. I want you to know these things by this, by this point. I want you to understand how to do this at this point. So what you end up doing there is seeing a young person in a defined atmosphere again somewhat like the classroom. Mm -hmm. Again, having that idea that I need to complete these, I need to get these things done to be effective in my job 
And if I want to show superior performance, I've got to do these things very, very well. Okay. Well, and then the things that you need to, uh, in the the individual, in your operation, that they need to develop, and the the questions um, of knowledge, skills, and character traits, let's talk about... um, how how you you recommend engaging that employee about communicating often? You talked about there's a that time's at a premium in that office setting, but you still want to reinforce the importance of checking back in again, just like the front loading that the the young employee's been used to over and over in their upbringing. Exactly, and and that's what I was speaking to. Once you've got that defined path, the timeline, the things that person needs to be doing. It's very simple in terms of communication to come back and say, how are you doing on this timeline? What's given you some challenges? What would you like to have? Do you need some coaching on some of these things? Would you like to get some assistance on them? If you're doing really well, uh, how, why do you think you're doing well? Those type of open-ended questions that makes the employee come out with their ideas about how they're feeling about the job. Uh-huh. What it truly does is gives the manager the fe- feeling and the sense of where that person is in their progress. Well, you know, I'm just wondering, maybe stepping back here is when you're consulting with these managers, are you also giving them a little bit of an idea about how they got to hire those employees? Is there something that you're learning um, that you that uh, you can confer upon those managers, of, you know, from the day-to-day operations, is there something that gives them insight as to how to uh, parse uh, all the talent that's coming through uh, in the hiring process? I'm just stepping back a little bit. Do you ever get involved well, in that? Uh, I do not, but here's what I have, have found in, in, in watching, watching managers and what they expect. Often managers hire very, very assertive people. They have those types of jobs that they think they need that very assertive person. And then they're surprised when that person wants to advance rapidly and move rapidly. Right. But those are the traits that they hired. So making that person understanding what true advancement is, not only in terms of upward movement within the company, but upward movement within the skill that's required within the job that they've been hired for is very, very important. That way they start to understand, okay, I'm in a job that's much more challenging than I perhaps realized, and I've got to do all these things before there's even the remote chance that I'm going to move to that next step. Giving them that clear understanding cuts down in this miscommunication where in about two to three years, the person has been there, they've got kind of an idea of what the job is. They think they're better than a couple of their other employees. They think they should get the next promotion. They don't get it, and they go to another company. Right. The fact that a manager can provide consistent clarity along that line, make them understand what the challenges are, make them understand the skills that they've got to master. Right can certainly help that young employee have a sense of reality because sometimes as they come out of school, they've been the number one person. They've done well academically. They've been, they've been that leader. They've done all those wonderful things, 
and all of a sudden they're just another employee and an average employee. Uh-huh. And that's a hard transition. A big one, a humbling one, and a certain one. Exactly. Uh, you know, we've always had people talk about uh, young people as feeling that they should step right up and move right up in the company. And that's a learned trait, and it's something that they've tried to do and practiced and challenged themselves to do all through school. Right. Whether it was to make a team, whether it was to make a grade, whatever it was, they challenged themselves. And if managers don't find a way to communicate that challenge and expect more from those employees, basically they start to stifle them. Right. And that's part of that communication that managers have to learn. And that's what another thing you talk about is the monthly progress discussion for the first, you say, 24 months. So, uh, you know, bringing that uh, that um, threshold discussion to a 24-month ongoing discussion about expectations, expectations being met or not being met, and, um, and a quarterly discussion after that. So you really are putting a premium, as we're wrapping up this interview, a, a real premium on on keeping that channel open, being super mindful, in other words. Exactly. Being mindful, making sure you understand the progress, and again, always challenging those young people and expecting more. They've been through that for years, and they deserve to have that kind of a mentorship uh, now. It's, It's something where... If a manager expects more, he usually gets more. Right, if right. If he challenges people, if he gives clarity about what he wants and what they need to be successful, these young, driven, success-type people really want to do that. And, the, and the, they'll follow the pathway. Exactly. And so the, the, one of the last things that you mentioned is always having have learning activities, goals, and improvements, that having those having them in written form, too. So it's a kind of a, a visual cue, a commitment to that that construct of what you want from that employee. Yeah. If you don't write things down, it's just kind of communication. If it's written, if it's outlined, and if it's an ex- expectation, it's a different dynamic, a significantly different dynamic exactly. from... Uh, being in a situation where I say, well, I'd kind of like to see you do this. The, the reality is, and the transition is, I expect you to be able to do these things. You need to do these to accomplish what we need here in this workplace. Well, Les, this is all the time we have. Um, I, if there's any takeaway in terms of other resources that you would recommend listeners take up, uh, if they can't have you come to to them, I mean, I don't know if you want to make your own contact information available. I can put that on the podcast. And uh, are, is there a title or two that you recommend people as we close the interview here? It's essentially, right now, uh, what we're doing is, if you go online, you're going to find several people who are talking who about are those? just the communication terms that are involved. Right. I can't give you a specific today. Okay, we'll put those I on the podcast. I will be glad to put my communication information on with you uh, uh, after the uh, interview here. Okay, we'll we do that. Talk. Well, Les, thanks so much for being on Ask a Leader. That is all the time we have. Uh, I want to wish you a 
a hearty hello to my favorite clinician up there in Camas, and um, uh, we'll uh, look forward to uh, putting all of this extra good information along with the podcast. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Okay. Well, that was great having Les Stevens on, talking about bridging the gap between business culture and emerging young employees. We'll be back after a station break uh, with the Master Hong Tuong, who will bring Tai Chi to your speakers, to your home, your office, or your cave, and we'll see how he's devised an integrated practice of Tai Chi to open us up and cleanse our clogged systems and psyches. Stay with us after the station break for the special Midsummer's Treasure. Hey, look me over. Lend me an ear Fresh out of clover Mortgaged up to here Don't pass the plate, folks Don't pass the cup Welcome back. That is, um, that was Mel Torme with Hey, Look Me Over. We're going to um, be uh, waiting for my guest to come. Uh, he uh, is integrating his Tai Chi uh uh, somewhere on the campus as we speak. So what we're going to do is um, just pat you over with a little bit of programming. Um, the uh, master, Hong Tuang, as uh, I can give him an introduction before he comes, uh, he is my guest, the Venerable Hong Tuang, as I said, an inf influential Vietnamese monk born and raised in Vietnam, and he's educated in the United States, ordained under the Chinese tradition and teachings of the Dharma under the direct tutelage of Master Xuan Hua, the world's enlightened master of Chinese and lineage. And so uh, Master Hong Tuang, my guest who will be eventually making it here today, has worked and served multi-ethnic communities across Asia, America, and Europe. He is known for the holistic uh, development of the uh, approach he's developed of integrating Buddhism into the fast-changing world. In 2002, he founded the Compassionate Service Society, a nonprofit organization that attends to healing the body, mind, and the spirit, about which he will talk today. So before we do that, we're going to do a, a bit of a musical interlude because um, we want to make sure we can have him on board with us today to share with us his very special brand of integrated Tai Chi, which uh, I hope he can even lead us in uh, on a, a radio exercise and, um, and help us um, uh, lead us through how we can perhaps integrate that into any place that we're actually um, where we find ourselves, even, you know, for a moment or two at the, the office place. I have had a, a dear friend show me what the buffalo movement or buffalo pose is and how it incorporates breathing, stretching, and balancing into a really cleansing kind of, of activity that I thought was very refreshing and very helpful. So what we'll do is we'll bring um, him here as soon as we can find him walking around. He won't be wearing, I don't think, a, a saffron robe. He will, I think he'll, he may be in the, uh, the olive uh, tunic tunic bottoms uh, ensemble and uh, if you can find him well then let's bring him over to radio kuci over by the science library so what we'll do is 
something of a different kind of a spiritual dimension. And um, listen to that while we await Master's imminent arrival. on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. Well, thank you for joining us. We have um, still a few interesting uh, technical difficulties with getting Master here. Uh, while we await his uh, imminent arrival, we are going to um, just bring you up to speed on where you can find out more about his integrated Tai Chi at the website known as Compassionate Society Service. It's headquartered in Garden Grove, and um, that they offer, besides um, Tai Chi instruction, there are many fine rituals. Uh, workshops, ceremonies, there's a tea meditation, there's many, many things that uh, they offer. And with the calendar of upcoming events, which I'd like to talk to you a little bit about, there will be, um, there's a host of, of activities, um, I'm just let me call that all the way up here, um, one of which is a um, August 5th, it's called the Suchness Manifestation Mandala. It's on the evening, uh, 7 to 9 o'clock on August 5th. And then again, if you miss something like that, you can follow it on October 7th as well. Uh, there is also the Altruistic Leaving. It's a home program, and I'm going to have him explain it were he to get uh, to the show today. And we'll talk about how he uh, integrates this Tai Chi uh, practice in, as I said, into everyday life because it's so important that we find a moment to uh, dispense with the insidious stress and negativity that ramp up uh, in our systems as we manage them. Uh, thank you all for persevering and persevering always pays off. I think there's a Zen to persevering and with me is Master Tuong with us today. Master, thank you for joining us on Ask a Leader. By the way, my name is Hang Chang, Master Chang. Master Chang. 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 C-H-A-N-G. Okay. There's different, um, I've had different <laughs> kinds of preparation. So okay. I'm, Master Chang, I'm so glad that you're here because I know our listeners are waiting at the edge of oh. their seats about how they can uh, incorporate those teachings of yours whether through your formal instruction or what you can impart today. So can you tell us a bit about how your background informed you about this integrated 
integral part of Tai Chi that you have developed? Um, the integral part, the integral Tai Chi is developed purely from my own experience. In 1998, I left my monastery and I want to go on to my individual discovery. And so I left California, went to Hawaii. And then I, um, I found out that I was so depressed because I was not with my Sangha. And um, I didn't know how to deal with depression, especially when I sit in meditation. The lower part of my body becomes so heated and um, I couldn't meditate. And therefore, I uh, got out into the open. I was in Waimanalo in Hawaii at that time, and uh, I was by myself. So I, I took out everything I have learned about uh, Shaolin, uh, Kung Fu, about Tai Chi, and all that. And then I came upon a form that now I name it the frog. And it's helped to move the energies from the, the, the lower part of the spine, the coccyx all the way to the top of my head. And, and I had that experience, and then uh, from there, I further asked my question that if it's going up, can it expand? And then I found another form, it's called the buffalo, which I named it later. And which I, I, I mentioned that be- while we were oh, waiting for you okay. to arrive, because a dear friend, <laughs> hello, hi, yo, had uh, uh, shown me in the oh. workplace, and I just mentioned to the listeners oh, just see. the benefits of how that opens up sure. so many things through yeah. breathing, stretching, and right. balancing. Right, right. And so tell us about this. And and so and that's what happened to me. And and I one form after the other. I um, I experience and I um, I I keep practicing it and then refine it until now. Today we have the ten forms. And basically, the breathing is one is the most uh, profound because um, only two breathing that we can change our lives. And I I changed my life because of the breathing pattern that I have in the integral Tai Chi. Now the ways that I put it, I say integral because in it there is the the very ancient way of breathing that we call qigong breathing have incorporated into the tai chi's form, and then uh, certain um, stretches that we do during tai chi. This stretch is actually from the yoga, and then uh, the knowledge about the chakras, and the knowledge about the tantian. Tantian in Chinese meaning um, center of energies. So I incorporate all of this teaching into. Uh, something that we now, Americans, we can um, actually have access to it and practice it. So instead of make it become so mysterious, I, I make it into, I, I, I simplify it and demystify it. So it become a system that we simply can move in the energies within the body and we can experience right away. So that's how the system was made. And it's very simple, only 10 forms. I used to learn the 24 forms of Tai Chi, the 144 forms, and the 64 forms. It's too much and it's too complicated. So and now wow. I only have these 10 forms. Basically, it's for people who like us nowadays, that we don't have a lot of time. We maybe have an hour or so. But we devote that an hour for practicing. And then the most important is to meditate after that. So that's how it designed. Design first of all from my own personal experience that I move beyond my own depression and then move into a very state of well-being. And then I found that uh, spirituality and the well-being of the body is all connected, uh, and that's how it's designed. And I must say, it's uh, it's apparent everyone knows that the master has uh, joined me here in Studio A today, and uh, he certainly does exude. Uh, all of those benefits that he has uh, worked out and developed and deepened uh, in his practice of integral Tai Chi. So it's a, I, I was hoping for this uh, to work out today, and it's much better than calling this interview on. <laughs> so and and it's very good that we can have you the, these remain moments. Well, um, I'm 
I have to say, so that we can be really topical in this moment, do you understand that probably a lot of Olympic athletes must sure. be using some of these, maybe the traditional Tai Chi, maybe some of your integral Tai Chi practices in the maintaining their competitive edge? Yeah, sure. I think uh, regardless of athletics, um, it just for the Tai Chi or the Qigong Yoga, the most important thing is how we can uh, tune ourselves into the flow. The, the, the kind of very important because every single movement or every single uh, actually the movement of lives it always have this kind of flow it has this kind of uh, harmony so when Michael fails when he really swims in that he really s- not only his mind it's into the zone but actually the movement had to be into the flow meaning all the body muscles and everything within his mind, his body had to be harmonized to do the max. And so he can can optimize that and he can uh, get to, you know, be the best. And so Tai Chi utilized that kind of principle that is uh, the movement of the hands and the movement of the, the, the feet, the legs, the body, everything had to f- go with the flow of nature. And nature, um, when it's rest and it's when it's um, really... Um, slow down is really harmonious and really calm so we go into that but if you 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 are the sportman then you go into the other extreme you you go into the flow that is very fast and very um uh, powerful so the different flows but they all utilize that we our body has the, the secret and the secret is how to harmonize all the parts into one and so if you can achieve the oneness either in the slow or in the fast motions they're all the same that means we become one with whatever we identify with, for example, the nature, the environment. For those of you who've just joined us here on KUCI Ask a Leader 88.9 FM in Irvine, I'm speaking with the Venerable Master Chong, <laughs> and he is here. Uh, he's based in his headquarters, Compassionate Society Service, headquartered in uh, Garden Grove, where are many events, workshops, and teachings. But you're also you're negotiating some. Uh, master classes or some structured classes at the Anteater Recreation Center upcoming. We're not trying to scoop the whole thing, but that is what's being contemplated. (laughs) So people know that you're bringing your Mm -hmm. practice even closer to our immediate listening area, but but for people to be watching now. So the integral uh, Tai Chi, is that something, say, listeners that are further away from our uh, immediate uh, transmission area, are they able to to pick up on those... um, not in that kind of instruction elsewhere. Yeah, sure. Uh, we we try to put everything on YouTube. You can, you can see some of the segments of, of our practice on YouTube right now. But we want to uh, create just a one hour or forty five minutes practice. You can turn it on. You can do along with us. That kind of thing. We call the Tai Chi flow. But the Tai Chi that we are talking about is not very soft and gentle. But it's actually it's a very fast moving and very powerful movement as well. And so we integrate everything and you make sure that it's helped us to have a very uh, strong being because if we breathe very slow and very calm and very subtle, then our mind becomes very calm and subtle. Our life becomes very gentle and subtle. But if we breathe very powerfully and very strongly, then our life becomes very energetic. And, and that's why we cultivate both sides, both ends, very energetic, but at the same time very refined and gentle. So our character can can embrace the full spectrum, you know, from very kind, very gentle, but at, at the time when it called um, us to be very forceful, very powerful, and very decisive, we can do that as well. I'm th- th- sort of reminded of the tantric kind of strain of yoga. Is it, uh, does it sort of... Uh, 
par- <laughs> is it a parallel to that a little bit? Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I want to equate myself, you know, parallels to tantric, not the sensual, but, but yeah. the but the invigoration. Uh, yeah, There's yeah, an sure, invigorated sure. kind of uh, very yoga. invigorated, very in, you know vigorous kind of practice. And uh, the, the the thing is, is we we need to embrace the two. Um, polarities, the duality of life. We cannot just say, okay, let's be calm and quiet. No, we, we in our lives have a lot of stress, and we want to use this kind of stress for um, the, the the accomplishment of our tasks and our jobs. But at the same time, we want to come down. At the time we go home, we want to be so relaxed and so gentle with our children, with our family, so on and so forth. So the integral Tai Chi take both parts of lives, the two polarities, and bring them together so we can have a harmonious life without a need to say that, well, I don't want to do this, I want to be calm and quiet, I don't want to talk much, but we can we can do both, we can do both. And and, and therefore, you, you can say that in one thing, it's like yoga, but the other thing is like really traditional Tai Chi, very slow and very gentle motion. So we, we, we take both parts because the, the basic teaching that we base on, and that's the only thing that we base on, in, in the Buddhist teaching, we call the non-dualistic Buddhism, where we promote the awareness of non-duality in movement, in awareness, and in, in real life practice. So that's the essence of it. So you were t- saying you were um, going to t- say a little bit. We don't have tons of time left, but no. you were going to ex- break down the buffalo. <laughs> the buffalo has uh, actually the three mantras on, on it. And Excellent. It's very, very simple. This is as close to on radio we're going to okay. do to get through an exercise. <laughs> so please. The first one is you, you put your hands, you know, the two hands facing out, you know, close to your chest, and you're pushing out, and you say you are pushing all the whatever you stuck up in your chest and your body, in your upper part of the body, but also the rooted within your subconscious. And you're pushing out, and you drop your hands, meaning you're letting go of all these hung-ups and perhaps everything that is you attached to, and most likely what we call the blind spot within us usually stop us from detaching. So now you the block. yeah, right, the blocks, and you drop it, and then you open your palms so they facing you, and then you open up and open wide. Uh, so that is what we call you open your embrace, but and then you have to step back. You have to step back and you let people into your embrace. In other words, we define love at the ways of open ourselves up, let people in. Love is not about possessing and and holding on to, but open up and create space for people to breathe together with us. So that's the buffalo. So the buffalo here, why do we call it buffalo? Actually, um, because we, we it's coming from the Asian kind of roots, so it's buffalo. I don't think we would have buffalo in America, but oh. we're thinking about, about the bison. And yeah, buff. bison. <laughs> the buff, yeah. but, but the idea is uh, the buffalo always stuck in the mud, and a lot of time we really stuck in the mud, you know, ah, our own desires, our own selfish desires, our own selfishness, and we are so stuck up. And now we need to move on by open up our embrace so we don't get stuck. So basically that is the essence of the the Buffalo movement. I, I really hope that sometime that we can demonstrate and you can see it on our YouTube, but uh, the idea is, is, is every single movement is the body language and it's expressed a very deep and, and hum, humane principle of how we can be better. Well, thank you so much for 
wedging us into your very, very busy schedule, Master Chong, and I really appreciate your being on the show today. Yeah. And we'll uh, maybe we can have another chance for a longer oh, interview so yeah. in the future when we're maybe sure. it's a particular time where people are feeling collectively very stressful, and you can come back and we can talk more about <laughs> the Buddhist aspects, sure. the tra- what traditional Tai Chi was that this has sprung from, and all that kind of thing. And I'll make sure everybody I'm knows. We to. didn't get to ask about the what the suchness manifestation mandala is all about but that we can say for the next sure. interview you can break it down so that is all the time we have for now uh where the venerable hung tuang from the compassionate society service has uh, offered his um uh, inestimable practice of tai chi for us all to consider and look for outlets besides on youtube at where the closest uh community center where he may be making a guest appearance well thanks for listening everyone that's all we have today next week we'll have on the show uh yale uh meisel southwest regional director of j street political action committee the Progressive Alternative to American-Israel Public Affairs Committee. It's a timely program as American political candidates pander for the Jewish vote in the run-up in the November election. Thanks for joining us, and we'll uh, turn it over to George Rosales with George Hat Hat. Stay tuned. Talk to you next week. Way down deep in your deep, deep heart is a fire. Way down deep in your deep, deep heart is a fire.